Hebrews chapter number four. Again, it is so good to be in the Lord's house. I'm just glad you're saved tonight. Amen. Amen. Verse number 16, just one verse tonight. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Well, I like to hear pages turn. All right. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Just one verse. Let's read it together. Ready? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With the help of the Lord, I will preach on the throne of grace. And we'll see what God has to say to our hearts. Let's go to the throne of grace and pray. Brother, Brother Klein, how about you praying? Amen. You can be seated. If you're a Bible student, there's sometimes God just sees fit to outline a chapter in the Bible for you. It's what I've called just a natural outline, and Hebrews chapter 4 does just that with just two words, let us. It begins in verse number one when he says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of not entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Well, in the Bible, again, if you're a Bible student, and uh, this is just to help you, whenever you read a chapter in the Word of God, or a book in the Bible for that matter, there'll always be a key to what that book is about and what God is wanting to say. Sometimes he puts a key at the front door and sometimes he puts it at the back door. Here he's putting it at the front door when he said, let us therefore come boldly, uh, no, let us, let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left of us of entering to his rest. That's the key. We find this chapter is about you and I understanding that God doesn't want us living in this life of fear, but of one of rest. As a matter of fact, God rested on the seventh day and was completely satisfied with what he had done. You'll find three things. Now, I'll just give them to you quickly. There's creation rest, in verses 4 through 5. There's Canaan rest, in verses 6 through 8. And there's Calvary rest, in verses 9 through 13. So he said, let us therefore fear. He said, let us be uh, uh, mindful that we don't uh, enter into this rest, that we miss it. And I'm glad God doesn't want us living anxious. How many understand our world is very anxious right now? People are, people are concerned. I, I, I don't go anywhere where someone doesn't ask me about this war 
and, and I, I can give you quickly what I give them. I have no idea where it's going, what it's, what's going to come of it. Um, I know what I read in the Bible. Uh, I would say this. It's a good day to be saved. It's a good day to know you're saved, to know Jesus. A good day to be right with God. And uh, now where and what we will face before we leave out of here, I have no idea. But we don't have to be anxious. God doesn't want us living. He said, let us not for fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into that rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Then notice verse number 11. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now he goes to another step. He takes you to another. He, it's advancing now. It's growing. He's saying, not only do I want, don't want you to miss that the fact you don't have to live in fear, but rest. But he said, you got to work, got to work uh, to not let unbelief rob you of that rest. And my, how, how current, how current that is today. The, the unbelief, and, and when it comes down to it, either we believe God or we don't believe God. There's no in-betweens. We're, we're, we're believing Him. Uh, you can't believe Him a little. Uh, I, let me say this, and just being as simple as I am. You can't believe He's going to take you to heaven one day and not believe that he can care for you and take care of every need that you have. If you believe he's going to take you to heaven, how many believe he's going to take you to heaven? Then you ought to believe that he can take care of every need that you have in your life. And he said, let us therefore uh, let us labor. And uh, now, the call to service to a Christian uh, is not a call of bondage. That's a labor of love. Because we're not called to serve God in our own strength. The Holy Spirit of God indwells a believer and he, he strengthens us, gives us the ability to do that. Greatest example I can, uh, I can tell you is whenever I first took the church, I was bivocational. I, I worked in a factory and I worked nine hours a day and sometimes longer. And I, I pastored the church. So on Wednesday night, uh, I would come to church and there has been more than one Wednesday night that I would ha call on someone that I knew prayed long. You know, we got some short prayers and some long prayers. I would find somebody I knew would prayed long I'd call him on to pray, and while they're praying, I'm praying and saying, God, if you don't help me, me and you both are going to fall on the floor, and they'll talk bad about both of us. And, and just tell you the truth, and to be at that, sincere, and God would strengthen me with a miraculous strength. By the time I was done, I felt renewed and revived, and, and that's God's that's the Holy Ghost to God that does that. George Mueller died in 1898. His death literally was a national event. 
It, it is recorded that his funeral was like nothing seen in, in the city. Businesses closed and, and to give their employees time off to witness the event. Thousands lined the streets and the whole city mourned. It's, it's most amazing. The, the England Daily Telegraph says, Mr. Mueller robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims, the goals of thousands of felons, a workhouse of thousands of helpless lost. That's what they said. Boston, the Bristol Times said, he was raised for the purpose of showing that the age of miracles is not past. One of the things that marked his life was how he served. He served tremendously. He, he opened uh, children's homes, start with a girl's home, and it just grew and grew and grew, later to a boy's home, and thousands of children come through his homes, and he never one time, never once in his life asked another man for anything. He believed God for everything that ministry needed. It is, it is in record and people have testified that they would sit down at tables and, and they would all sit down and there would be no food. And George Mueller would pray, thanking God for no food. And the kids, you know, sitting there looking, saying, does he know there ain't no food here? And, and honest to myself, while, they was, while he was praying, truck would break down at the door and they would come in and say, listen, can you use this food? Because it's going to waste. Our truck just stopped running. And it was, and that happened. Things like that happened continually, continually because this man served when he was in his 80s. When he was 80, he decided he wanted to change. And he went and volunteered to be a missionary to a foreign country. And they wouldn't let him go because they thought, he was too old, but at 80, he wanted to change and he wanted to be a missionary, so he served. May I remind you, there's something about let us, let, let us labor. There's something restful about laboring in the work of Christ. There's something very rewarding. There's something very blessed. And, and so, now he comes and you say, well, how, how can we do all of this? Well, he comes to the third, and that is, let us therefore. Now, I gave you those other two because let us therefore. The word therefore attaches this statement to the other, let us. How do we do it? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Now, before we get to this verse, there's several key words I want to look at before we get there. Notice with me verse 15. First of all, notice the word touch. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. One of the most blessed things that God says before he says come boldly to the throne 
he tells us about himself. He says, I want you to know, I want oh, listen, listen, listen. He said, I want you to know there is nothing that's touched your life that I'm not aware of. How many times do we feel that we're all alone and nobody knows and understands where we're at? I was thinking just a couple, I guess last Wednesday night, the man down here stopped down here to bridge and took his life. There's one thing I know for certain, don't know who he was, don't know why he done it, but one thing for certain, he thought there was no way out, there's no other answer, there's no other solution, and he was so wrong, because there's a God in heaven that is touched with the feelings of anger. There is nothing you face, there's nothing you think, there's nothing that's touched your life that Jesus says, I know exactly how you feel. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. He knew what it was to hurt. He was God of glory. But he was robed in flesh. So when you go to him and say, God, I'm hurting today, he knows, he suggests, I know how that is. He was lonely. He knew sorrow. He knew heartbreak. He knew betrayal. He knew everything that touches our lives our lives. He got angry, but he never sinned. Probably the only one that ever did that. He got angry. He said to get angry and sin not, but he got angry, but he didn't sin. May I remind you, the only, he said, I can, I've been touched. Psalm 78, he being full of compassion, forgave their iniquities and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, then I stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh and a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses. By the way, this is a good verse for you to remember when it comes to other people. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. It do us good. Hallelujah. It do us good to remember the next person next to you. God remembers his frame and he's just dust. It do you good to remember. That's all we are. That's all we are. Oh, maybe we remember that. Notice the touch. Then notice with me this word, the temptations but was in all points tempted like as we are. In Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Ghost of God, after Jesus was baptized, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that take away the sins of the world. Lord said, uh, John, would you baptize me? When he come up out of the water, the Holy Ghost of God led him in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, and to be tempted of the devil. Now, why was he tempted? He's the God of glory. Why was he tempted? He was tempted to understand and know every temptation that you and I face. 
when we come to God and said, I take God, I, I was just tempted and I was just tempted I couldn't help myself. God's going to look to you and say, oh yes, you could have. When we can stand before God, we will not tell Him, we will not look at Him and say, you gave me a temptation that I could not handle. He's going to say, oh no, no, no. Boy, he said, notice in 1 John 2, 16, all that is in the world, now don't you notice, every temptation falls in one of these three places. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, is of the world. Every temptation, every temptation falls under the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We understand the lust of the flesh. How many lives have been wrecked because of the lust of the flesh? The lust of the eyes, wanting something, envying something, looking over the neighbor's fence and envying their new car and and, and by the way, that's one of the Ten Commandments. But the pride of life, I'm not so sure that that's not one that's going to get us all in some way or another. Pride of life is when the Holy Ghost to God touches us and we're too proud to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Boy, that's a, that's a serious business. But every sin in the world falls in one of these three categories. So we see a touch. He said, I know, I know how you feel. Number two, he said, I know every temptation that you've had, that you've experienced. But I love this. He said, the answer to your, to your needing a touch, the, to the touches of, in your life and the temptations in your life, he said, the answer to those things is a throne. The throne of grace. Now, the book of Romans, I mean the Hebrews, is refers to the throne of Jesus Christ many times. Hebrews 1.8. To the Son, he said, the throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice what he said in Hebrews 8.1. Now the things which were spoken, this is the Son, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now praise God for all those thrones. But chapter 4, verse 16 is the only place in the Bible you'll find the throne of grace is mentioned. It's mentioned in the same context. You've got to keep it in context of him saying, I know you're in for, I know every problem you have. I know every heartache you have. He said, my answer's a throne. He, he said, I know every temptation you have. I, I understand every temptation you face. My answer is, a throne. What kind of throne? He said, a throne 
of grace. The word grace simply means God's unmerited favor. It is a place that you go to meet with Him. And tonight, let me show you some things about this throne. First of all, access to the throne of grace. Let us therefore come. The picture here is this. And I hate to sound like a, a, a history lesson. I'm really not. But we need to know this. In the Old Testament, they had the holy place, had a veil, and then had the holy of holies. There was one person, one time a year, could go in behind that veil and put blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And that was the high priest. Now you need to understand something. When he went in, he was right. If he wasn't right, he didn't get in. He was dropped at the door. And because of that, he was at access. In Exodus 25, now shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and then ark shall put the testimony I shall give thee, and that I will meet with them, with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I give thee, commandment unto the children of Israel. So, the restrictions to the to the throne room of God, little restrictions was for one man, one time a year, and the truth of the matter was, it was so rigid. Listen, in Exodus 25, 28, and beneath upon the hem of, of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet, and round about the hem, at the bottom, the, uh, the bales of gold between them round about. It's as simple as this. When that high priest would go into the holy place, no one else was allowed. He would go in. He had an outer robe. He, he, wore, he wore linen breeches. He wasn't prissy. Linen breeches because he couldn't sweat. So he wore something that didn't cause sweating. Sweating was part of the curse. He would walk in and before he would go in and, and put the blood on the mercy seat, he would take that outer garment, he would take that outer garment, and he would shake it, and the bells would ring. He would lay that garment aside, take the blood into the mercy seat, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and when he come out, he would shake that and the people outside would know the sacrifice has been done and they would begin to shout and praise the Lord. I've heard this and, and I know I'm on the radio 
I know we're live streaming, and I know I'll probably get a call, but that'll be okay. I guarantee you one thing. Some preachers will tell you he tied a rope around his leg, tied a rope, so if the bell stopped ringing, they would pull him out. Let me just say this. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Because you've got to understand something. When he walked up to that temple, and he walked in there as a liver, he washed himself. And when he entered into the holy place, if he wasn't right with God, he didn't have, they didn't have to worry about dragging him out. He didn't go any further. When he went into the holy of holies, they wasn't this thing of guessing and because it was so rigid. If he wasn't right, he didn't go in. Simple as that. And because of that, they, 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 this rope thing, and I've studied the Bible, I've looked everywhere. I'm going to tell you something. There wasn't no rope hooked to his leg. Bless God. He was right before he walked in the door. All right? He was right before he walked in the door. But at Calvary, at Calvary, as Jesus hung, bleeding and dying, and he did talk to the two thieves, and he looked up and said, It is finished. And the Holy Ghost of God and the Spirit of life left him, and he died. The moment he died, that veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Hold it, you're going to understand something. That veil was about six to eight inches thick of woven material. You couldn't have torn that thing in two if you wanted to. The very act of God rending that veil and that curtain just opening up. And what he was just saying to you and I, we don't need another man to go in before us. You don't need me to go. I'll pray with you and for you. But you do not need me. You can enter, let us come boldly. You can enter into the throne room of God anytime, any place, anywhere, any, any moment you want to. You don't have to wait on nobody else. All he said, just come. Hallelujah. Just come. Oh my goodness. So we have access to the throne of grace. Notice how we ought to approach the throne of grace. Well, yes, we're going to come fearfully and scared and, and just worried to death. That ain't what he says. He says, come therefore boldly. What boldly does not mean. The word boldly does not mean Angry or arrogant? What it does mean this. It means as boldly, best illustration I could give to you. 
if you came to my house and I said, there's, there's the food. Now, get your plate and help yourself. Coming boldly, you get up there and grab the plate. And trust me, my crowd ain't bashful about this. You go to the first pot and you just dip it out without reservation. You don't look, they don't, I, I watched them. They don't look around. They get all they want. And then they come back for seconds. And I'm telling you, and as, by the way, the whole crowd's out of the way. Me included. There's no reservations. There's, that word boldly has the idea that the invitation's being given. And if the invitation's being given, you don't have to stand back. You don't have to wait on somebody else. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be worried. He said, come boldly to the throne of grace. Has the ideal of coming without reservation. I've been, I, I, I've been to a few people's homes for dinner. Not many of you invite me for dinner, by the way. I just don't throw it out. But, uh, but a few have. And uh, but I, I, one family, one of the first things I recognized, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you, David Nanya, uh, one of the first things that, that was so precious about having dinner with them, they made us feel so at home. We had hot dogs. That's a first plus right there. And I love this. They said, okay, preacher, get you a bun, get you a hot dog. And they were just without, it's coming boldly. It's just come boldly. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. He says, let us therefore come boldly. It means freedom in speaking and unreservedly in speaking, openly, frankly, without consent. He, he, he goes on to say, when you come boldly, you don't have to be afraid of anything you say. How many understand sometimes you talk to people, you got to manage the discussion? How many understand that? Sometimes you got to manage, you got to think what you say. How, how many have been around those people? You can just be yourself. You don't, you don't have to think about it. You, just, just, you can just talk. Jesus says when you come to the throne of grace, you don't have to manage what you got to say. Just be, just be honest. By the way, by the way, the greatest plan you'll ever do is just be yourself. Just talk to God as if you was talking to your best friend. Don't be hesitant. Just, just being obedient. Let us therefore come boldly. But notice not only the access to the throne, we, have a, we got access to the throne, the approach to the throne of grace, but notice the assurance to the throne of grace that we may obtain and find. We don't have to fear being turned away. We don't have to be fear him saying, you, you can't come in here today. We don't have to fear saying, I don't have time for you today. We don't have to fear being turned away. There's never a time that you go to the throne of grace 
that God will tell you, I'm sorry, my schedule's full today. I just don't have time for you. I'm grateful the Father doesn't turn me away. He didn't turn me away at the time of my salvation. And all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast. God said, my salvation. He said, there's never a time a person comes to be saved that God won't save. But then there's never a time in supplication. I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I need to read those again. You need to know those verses. And he said, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. We have not because we ask not. Isn't it amazing? I'm not trying to quarrel at you. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. Isn't it amazing? We'll worry a week over something before we ask God. We'll worry ourselves to death over something before we'll bow our knee and ask God. Isn't it amazing? We'll do everything in the world to figure it out before we ask God. Then we can't do nothing else. We'll bow and say, God, can you help me? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone, everyone, everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So we find the access to the throne of grace, the approach to the throne of grace, the assurance of the throne of grace. And then there's an assumption of the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. This unspoken assumption for the believer at the throne of grace is the importance of mercy. A believer today is constantly in need of mercy of God. Mercy means kindness, goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them. Lamentation said this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I love this. They are new every morning. Great is our faithfulness. Did you use up God's mercy today? He's got a new batch for you when you wake up in the morning. I needed mercy today. Guess what? As the sun comes up in the morning and my eyes open in the morning, I'm going to need mercy in the morning. I need God to be kind to me. Mercy's not giving us what we do deserve. I don't deserve God being kind to me. I just want him to be kind to me. I don't deserve compassion. I just want him to be compassionate. See, the unspoken assumption is that the throne of grace, you'll find mercy. 
1 Peter 2.10, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One of the most gracious things God does at the throne of grace, throne of grace, grace is His unmerited favor towards us. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy's not giving you what you do deserve. That's mercy. I don't, I don't know if this cruel punishment's still done, but when I was growing up, we had to go cut our own hickories. I mean, that's just, that's just bad. <laughs> We had to go cut our own hickories. And, uh, and, and I learned something. If I would get a real big hickory and, and give mama that sad, sad look, she didn't have the heart to whip me with it. Not my daddy. My daddy would say, I didn't ask you to bring a tree. I don't, I don't want to kill you. Now throw it down and go get me a hickory. He made me go get another one. But my mom, I, I, and she, she, she'd say, don't you do it again. That's mercy. Now odds are, I probably deserve the whipping. But that's mercy. That's mercy. By the way, by the way, if you and I have lived in this sin cursed world today, somewhere, someplace, you probably need mercy. You say, Well, I didn't do anything, but did you think about things? Yeah. Did you think things you shouldn't have thought? <laughs> if you did, you need mercy. Then, last of all, the awareness at the throne of grace to help in the time of need. Let us therefore come boldly that we may obtain and find help in the time of need. We all have needs. Someone said, so rightfully so, that if a preacher would preach to broken hearts, he would never be without a congregation. And I believe that because we all have needs. And these needs are never more evident than when we're praying. There's not a time we don't need God's grace. And we can enter that throne of grace and take your needs. And God says, I'll help you. Now, are you one of those? Don't you listen to me now? Guess way. Are you one of those who understands that you need help? That you just ain't got all the answers. That you just ain't got it all figured out. And you need help. And every opportunity that you have, you run to the throne of grace for that help. Or 
Are you one of those like the church of Laodicea? Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and I've need of nothing. You know what they said? I don't have to run to the throne room of grace. We don't need anything. We're rich, increased with goods. I got everything. I was walking through the Walmart or somewhere early, early one morning. And there was a monitor and a TV screen and and uh, Bill Elliott was not Bill Elliott, but uh, um, Dale Earnhardt was given an interview to to Daryl Dale Waltrip was doing an interview of Dale Earnhardt, and I just stopped there and watching it for a moment, and Dale Earnhardt said this. He said, Dale, Dale, I got everything. I got everything. I got more money than I'll ever spend. I got more cars and trucks and tractors and houses. And He said, Dale, I've got everything. I've got everything. And I stood and I was so taken back by that because the next Sunday in an accident just I popped to the wall he met eternity and in this lifetime he didn't have nothing. I hope he knew Christ. His speech didn't sound like he did. I hope he did. I hope, I hope and pray he did. Because one thing about it, he didn't have everything. He thought he had everything. Are you one of those that has everything? I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Here's what I always said. And no, it's not. And, and don't even know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said they don't even know so you're one of those two places. Are you one of those? And God, I just need your help. I need your help. Or are you one of those? I don't need anything. God, God. I'm good, preacher. I'm good. It wasn't that help's not available. It was pride and stubbornness that kept them from going to the throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm done. There's a few questions. Look this way. Everybody look, look straight at me. Are you hurting? Then let us. Are you sad? Then let us. Are you troubled? Then let us. Are you worried? Then let us. Are you fearful? Let us. Are you apathetic? 
Let us. Do you have a need? Let us, therefore, come to the throne of grace. So I'll stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let us.